My name is Paul Fahey and I'm the Artistic Director of Galway International Arts Festival and I'm joined in the Festival Gallery with Enda Walsh, playwright and director, uh, with whom we've worked for many is a long year. And we're here specifically to have a chat about um, the ongoing immersive theatre installations, rooms, which we've been working on together since 2014. So Andrew, you're very welcome to Galway once again. Thank you. It's great Lovely to have you back. Be here. Um, so rooms have become quite the thing, haven't they? Like it started off as a small idea in 2014 and they've just sort of, you know, grown year on year. We've managed to bring them together in, in various different assemblages in various different places around the world. So um, can you talk to me a little bit initially maybe about... Um, you know, I read, you, you wrote this really lovely uh, preview piece, I think it was, an introduction piece um, when we were in the Barbican last year about, you know, about uh, your dad was, or had a furniture shop and you and your brother used to sometimes help him deliver things and you, you were always very interested in going into other people's spaces and seeing all these kind of new environments. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe how that sort of influenced your way of thinking in terms of character maybe and spaces? Yeah, and... I think it is. I mean, I was like many, many, many probably like a, a lot of artists. I was quite a sort of a very sort of sensitive uh, little boy and um, very um, intelligent, precocious younger brother who sort of completely outshined me very, very quickly. And um, I was a second last in a big family. So um, I, was, I felt as if, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, like in my head and things like that. And, uh, but as, as I got older and into my sort of teenage years, yeah, my dad had a furniture business and we used to, on a Saturday, we used to deliver furniture when the, when the van men were too drunk to sort of drive the van. And uh, the big, you know, but I was a young teenager with my sort of older brothers. But you would come into people's houses and be in their houses and be in their spaces and their living rooms or whatever. And, and that was a very, um, uh, you know, as a, as a young kid, about sort of 13, it was really, really interesting to be in someone else's house and to feel the sort of, you know, the history and the, the presence of people there and who that family was. So, and as a playwright, I guess, or a writer, you have to sort of, you know, jump into the atmosphere and the subtext of what's happening in a, in a, in a situation. So sort of sitting alone in someone's, you know, kitchen, while my dad's doing business in the living room, you know, with the parents or whatever, and, and waiting for him to come in, you know, like I'm being in that space wondering, you know, you know who those people were, um, has really sort of informed a lot of my work, I must say, you know, but, but particularly, you know, the rooms thing. And it wasn't until we did the first room, room 303, that I realized that, um, which was, you know, a, a, you know, a little hotel room of, um, they're very sort of strong spaces, um, to be, they feel very, you know, um, atmospheric, and uh, and we dig deep as a sort of as a we're trying to sort of learn what those spaces are and how they sort of speak to us and all the rest. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, so when you kind of start off, obviously, room through three was written before kind of the idea came, came about that they would be in these sort of white cubes. For those who don't know them, they're, they're a series of white cubes that are about five metres by five metres, uh, sort of like domestic room, a little bit larger than domestic room size. And, and they're normally set in a gallery kind of context. And people open a door and they walk into this kind of environment. So it's a very, it is, I suppose, it's a different engagement with, with an art form than, say, theatre would be because it's the whole idea of the fourth wall. And you're kind of, you're up close and personal, almost kind of confined. And there is maybe a sense of confinement about our psychological about some of the characters that we kind of that we, that we meet along the way there, but do you have a kind of a different um, sort of mindset now when you start now that you know that you're writing for that framework? I think I do. I mean, I'm conscious of like I was said this to you before. As I get older, the larger plays and the, the, the theatre stuff, I'm much more interested in form and structure. And when I was a younger writer, I was really interested in language and character. And these actually sort of are, are 
I allow myself it's an opportunity also to go back to the fundamentals of why I became a writer when I was a, like a, you know like in my later teenage years when I started writing, and and it's that it's sort of it's an engagement with um, yeah with the with the character and with how the character is talking, and in the case of these I guess in terms of the sort of the mindset of I know that they're all thematically sort of linked they all seem to be linked to. I guess isolation and all of that, and being in a space and in a box in the character's place, it allows you as a listener or as a sort of an experiencer of that to connect in, you know, like if you want to, it, with your own sort of, with the spaces and the isolation within your own sort of self and your own life and all of that sort of carry on. So, I mean, thematically, it sort of it buzzes around that sort of idea. Mm. And there's sort of so much in them, like they, they, they each last in around 13 minutes, but like sometimes when you read them, they're almost like, you know, an epic novel because you paint this picture of, say, for example, Room 303, which you've mentioned, which was the very first one. It was a man, either he either died or he's about to die. He certainly was, he was kind of leaving the space and he was reflecting back on, on, on his time on Earth. But you just, you really had a whole sense of the life he'd kind of led, and that's a huge one to capture within yeah, it's sort of a short like, few pages. But I sort of, I, I, I remember um, when I was in Cork years ago, and um, I was walking over Patrick's Bridge, and I think it was a time just before Disco Pigs or something like that, so, and um, I was walking across the bridge and I stopped dead, and I felt this, <gasps> you know, sort of, sort of pressure in my chest, and a real sort of hollowing out of myself, where I just felt, I felt so tiny and insignificant in relation to the world, which we are, right? And, um, uh, and that was, and it was a punch, it was a real bang. And I know what these rooms, it is that. It's a, a very, very sort of significant moment in their lives that they're feeling. And that's the connection that I, you know, because a lot of the time, you know, we sleepwalk through our life, you know, we're probably not at the moment <laughs> because it's extreme and, uh, uh, but we're sort of dulled in many other ways. But, but, but a lot of the time we do just go by, you know, our, our days and weeks go by us. But, you know, moments of real significance do happen, of course, in our lives. And they're the moments, I guess, with these characters that, you know, I want to, I want to hear about. So they're, they're both, they might be reflections on isolation, but, Within that, there's either sort of like real implosion and uh, defeat, mm. or there's actually there's something positive, you know. Yeah, that's survival. Survival, yeah. yeah. A lot of them are, are that. I mean, like, the saddest one is the waiting room. We talked about that, and it's like, it's so tragic. And, uh, and yet that woman sort of finds it within herself, and she's completely broken to begin to sort of carry on, you know, through that grief. Yeah. I mean, that's... No. That was such a profoundly moving one, and of course that was voiced by, by the great Aoife Duffin. Yeah. But, and the, the latest one in, in the series, The Changing Room, which features Marty Ray's voice, um, that's kind of more of a transformational story, and yeah. perhaps there's a little bit more, not a little bit more, there's definitely more hope kind of offered yeah. towards the end of that. But do you want to talk a little bit about that character? <laughs> well, it needed to be. I mean, look, lockdown and the whole thing, and I know in my piece, of course, it, it does refer to lockdown, but in sort of, you know, bleakly, but we all know what the hell we're talking about. That moment of you know uh, self-isolation, there a lot of people have actually, and the giddiness and the strangeness of that time, a lot of people found within themselves reserves, or maybe it was actually just the, the shock of it, that you know there was a lot of sort of reinvention that went on, and um, you know like in that sort of <laughs> cocooning sort of caterpillar to butterfly sort of story really interests me, and I thought oh actually I should really write about that, and I needed it at the time you know when you talked to me and. 
in uh, late March, April, I just finished a commission and I came out of the commission and I was like, and, <laughs> and I, thought, I thought, oh my God, right, okay. So, uh, uh, and, I, and I thought, well, I should write something about um, uh, a man who uh, finally sort of, who finally gets what he always wanted. And, you know, and, <laughs> you know, it has humor, of course, but there's a real, in another point of view, it would be a very, very sort of sad story, but I wanted that character to have within that sort of humor, that, that drive to actually just keep on, you know, one foot after the next. And he sort of finds love, you know, which is, which is great, you know, to find love story, you know, love story in a pandemic sort of character. Ah, yeah, it's that's good. fantastic. It's kind of just full of possibility and what's going to happen to him yeah. over the next while. That's great. Um, and that one, of course, is that set in, a, in an outdoor changing space. Yeah. Um, so somewhere like Salt Hill in Galway or Black Rock in Dublin or whatever. Um, and I'll, t- I'll talk about the rest of the creative team in, in a moment um, who are so kind of key to all these as well. But um, sort of looking back at the, over the seven of them, is there any of them that sort of kind of, you know, sticks at you on a more regular basis or a character that you kind of go, God, I wonder what happened to them or that you kind of care for a little bit more. <laughs> I said that because I know I have one. <laughs> no, they all, I mean, they all have. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of shocked because the thing about it is, is, and the way that we've done them is that we, you know, I, I guess I became a playwright because I was interested in people and there's nothing like meeting a stranger and finding that connection you know, like in yourself and that empathy that you have for them. It's a sort of shock for me, you know, that when they, when they arrive and they, and they come out and then we make them, we voice them, we put them in this room and then they exist in that space and we get to sort of engage with their moment, it's a very significant moment in their life. And I, I sometimes, and I feel this about the larger work too, you know, uh, I'm unsure a lot of the time about what my sort of engagement was with them, despite the fact that I wrote them. But they do happen, mm. you know, is the thing. And you find them. And then I, yeah, and within that, and I, I told you the other day, came up on my headphones, it was on a, on a shuffle, and, uh, and I was like, oh, right. And the, and, um, the bathroom came up, um, a Paul Reed voiced, and um, I, I was like, I couldn't remember a lot of it. And I was really sort of shocked to hear it and, and, uh, uh, and the speed of which it happened. I think it's that, it's the changing atmospheres. And when we begin to sort of see them all together and when we show them in the barbican with five rooms, it's the changing atmospheres that an audience sort of have to experience within that time of going one to the other. And, and that thing also of just, in theatre, you do have to turn off your phones. And <laughs> and, but similarly, that, that you just give a little bit of time, you give 13 minutes to the meditation, but the concentration of that character in that particular sort of time um, but, but there is a feeling of suspension, you know, that, mm-hmm. that it's not the end. It's sort of like we just grasp them at a, at a particular moment. And so the piece has to be concentrated and you feel as if, oh, wow, they're still, they're still out there apart from the, woman, the poor woman in the kitchen who imploded. <laughs> but apart from her, everyone's sort of still out there. Poor, poor, poor Eileen Walsh's character <laughs> that you refer to there. Um, and uh, the one that I, I imagine probably asked the most about, I think, is, is by, by people who've seen a lot of them maybe, is the girl in a girl's bedroom, which is yeah. by Charlie Murphy. And it's interesting like, to hear the, like, the, kind of the care that people seem to still have about her you know, five years later or whenever. I guess it's a child. It and it's a child, but then she's woke, we hear her when she's an adult. But yeah, yeah. a few people have said to me, do you think she's, do you think she's okay? <laughs> so do you think she's okay? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know where she is. But, but again, it's a, it's a very sweet, like, well, it's a story about her. When I was a kid, when I was a five, six-year-old, I had like five, a lot of five, six-year-olds had fantasies about running away and what running away was being like. And in our neighbourhood, it seemed to be something like in the seventies that we would chat about, you know, people running away. Did you hear about this? So, and I mean, that's, where, that's where that came from. Yeah. That thing about like, 
than a woman you know, who, who leaves her house at six and then doesn't stop walking until she's 25. Now we can do that in theatre, we can sort of mm. allow that character to sort of be, and also sort of exist within 13 minutes, you know, a whole life in that time. Yeah, it's incredible how much of a picture they kind of paint of somebody's, the essence of somebody's being, I think. Yeah. Um, the, actually, the other interesting thing I really like about them as well is that, because you are kind of in a, in a closed space with people, We've taken, we're in COVID times now as we speak, yeah. so we've, we've, uh, we're not really encouraging people to kind of, you know, touch the objects or whatever yeah. in, in, in changing room and that's a little bit less prop heavy or whatever, but generally people are encouraged to kind of open drawers yeah. and kind of, you know, um, uh, get a kind of a sense of, of everything that's within the sort of spaces. Um, but with being in the spaces, and especially in, in, the, in the girls' bedroom, I thought, you know, you had four strangers who were in that kind of room with you, yeah. and you had all this sort of, like, the debris of a child's life, like, left all over the place, yeah. and this haze of pink. And it was interesting watching how people engaged with some of the, the items and the, you know, I remember once going in and seeing the girl's school uniform had been, you know, had been folded and left very neatly, and it was just kind of heartbreaking, the, <laughs> that sort of gesture that they had done something to kind of help and care for this I think it's sort kid. of, you know, well, you know, when you're in a sort of, when you're in your child's room and you're an adult, these are really sort of evocative spaces, and also it fills you with dread as soon as you're sort of, you step into a white box with a, into a, a child's bedroom. Mm. Your sense of sort of, you begin to, as an audience, you begin to bring your drama, really, your own story, really, really quickly to the party. And it's, you know, it's our job to sort of fight against that and offer something else, or maybe not, or else ride where they're going and mm -hmm. just, you know, bring, eventually bring them up. And we talk a little bit about um, Office 33A, because that, that was like, you know, fascinating. You, you walked down this corridor of a, you know, a very kind of clean, sort of dull, contemporary kind of office space, and then you opened this door into what was almost like a time capsule from, you know, decades ago. And it was, it was almost like a prison cell in, so, in some ways. Yeah. And it was like that, you know, that the stories and the memories of that space had been, had been just sealed off, and then all of a sudden we excavate them. Yeah, there, see, this, this is the thing about the rooms. You can go anywhere with them and be, and, and I mean, that was really interesting to, to go, all oh, right, sort of like it's, it's a forgotten space in what feels like a very institutionalized, clean building, and it's a locked door of which we have access to. And then within that locked door, there's a completely broken, fractured voice coming at us, trying to bring you know, the, his last uh, moments together in that space. And, and again, a love story, a weird love story between him and this woman who, who worked in this building, and us trying to, I mean, they're, they're incredibly, you can go anywhere with it in that sort of white box. And also, from a design point of view, I mean, the, there's just a gazillion rooms that you can go into, that you can sort of experience. You know, it's endless. Yeah. Um, here's to many more. Uh, I just want to, to just mention um, our creative team as well, because yeah. they bring so much to the, to the project. Tony Reid, who's the master carpenter and great construction uh, chap. Jerry Sweeney, who's uh, the scenic painter, um, who's worked on all of them. And Kira O'Reilly, who's our great props master, can find anything anywhere. And Adam Simons, who works as lighting designer, and he's also the production manager on them. And then in the earlier rooms, we were, we'd worked with Pete Nelson a little bit as yeah. well. So, um, it, yeah. and I, I just love working with them, because they're such a, they're, they're really, it really feels like a collaborative kind of a, oh, an it's experience. Great. It's great. And it was wonderful in the Barbican to see and also, I mean, their work is so fine. It's really, really excellent. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely thing to do. Like, you know, we've had seven years of it to, to do every year to reconnect with those people and to talk about where we're at and where the rooms are at and sort of know, well, we can, I mean, I, whenever I sit down to write, I think, oh, this will be a really good offer to the guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like in terms of, well, what do you think? 
Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> well, they've been a joy to make it, and uh, let's 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 keep on making them. Yeah, um, okay. keep on going. Seven seven down. So thank you very much for being here today, and uh, we look forward to the story continuing. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to First Thought. For more, visit the Talks page on Galway International Arts Festival's website, giaf.ie.